Hello, this is David Leon, and along with Ali Reza Omenfoyer and Kenneth Shinizuka, we are On The Verge. In this episode, we continue last week's discussion on God. Hi, I'm David Leon, um, librarian of the Oxford Centre for Buddhist Studies, teaching assistant, and uh, jobbing mystic. I just had a few follow-up comments last week on a discussion on God. Um, it, it, I felt that, you know, a couple of things were left a little bit unsaid. And so I'll start off with, you know, not so much how do you know God, but how do you know you know God, right? So what, like, you know, it seems to be such a mysterious thing that some people talk about and some people just don't get it all. Um, and so for someone who doesn't get it, it might be a bit confusing. Well, how, how is it, how, how do you know when, when, when you get it, right? And for that, I think it's just very, it's, it's the same thing as anything else. It's a very simple back and forth. What you simply check what other people are saying about it and you see if that tallies with your experience, as with anything else, right? Do you have, when the doctor's asking you if you have, you know, certain stomach illness, they'll ask you about certain symptoms, they say, okay, it's like this, it's like this, people who've had it before have reported it, it's like this. And with the basic use of language, that's essentially how, that's essentially how you know you know it, right? Um, but then in terms of the basic thing of, well, how do you, how does it happen? How do you just, you know, there can be these, moments of grand revelation but typically it's not it's not that grand it's certainly in a lasting way with the thing the thing that you have through your life right because you know you don't you're not you're not in those states all the time how do you know that how do you know when you have it in this lasting way right and that like so we can talk about this at length but i'll just go at it with my usual amount of total earnestness right which is that I hate to say it, but there's just a certain amount of inevitability of, of grace, right? It just kind of happens, and it's just kind of unaccountable. I mean, you can give physical explanations for it, certain glands in the brain, but it kind of just begs the question, well, how come I was born with this kind of gland and, and someone wasn't, right? Um, and so the, the quote that springs to mind to this is was one of the great, great Sufi, Sufi masters, Dulun uh, al-Misri, the, the Egyptian, sort of 10th, 9th century mystic, uh, and, and one of my sort of great role models, uh, he said that, were it not for my Lord, I would not have known my Lord. It's just simply mm. something you just know. <laughs> like, it's just like, were it not for walking, I would not have known walking. Were it not for the air, I would not have known the air. It's just, <laughs> it <Yeah>. just, <laughs> it seems as if to come from outside, right? It seems mm. to come from, from deep within. It seems to just kind of be there. Were mm. it not for it, it's the thing that revealed itself, you know? Mm-hmm. Sure, you can search for it, right? You can do the things we talked about, especially kind of reading spiritual books or talking with going to places, all that kind of thing. Um, but there's just a certain amount of it just clicking. And it just clicking comes down fundamentally just to grace, right? To, to Wu Wei, to sort of non-action. It just kind of happens, right? And once that sort of happens, right, then we get to, I think, um, something that Simone Weil, the 20th century mystic, um, got very well. She has an essay on attention, and she's an essay really on schooling, on, 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 on uh, the kind of basic primary, secondary education that we all go through. She's like, all right, what's the point of that? How can we justify that? Well, ultimately, we can justify it because it doesn't really matter what they're doing. It's that they're training their attention. Right? If you're focusing on math problems, the math, like whatever, some people might find it interesting, for some people it might be useful, for society it might be useful, but the point is that you're training their attention to, you know, on these numbers. If they're learning how to read and write, you're training their attention on these letters. You know, PE, you're training the attention on these physical moves. It doesn't really matter what you're training the attention to, you just make teaching them how to focus. 
And the ultimate purpose of that is to focus on God, right? Because when it isn't blasting you in the face, it's quite a subtle thing, as we discussed last week, right? It is no given thing. So at that point, it becomes, a, let's say, you train your attention so that you can constantly be aware of it. And so in the, in the Catholic tradition, the monastics, what they're striving for is a state of constant prayer. So they pray in the morning, they pray in the afternoon, they pray in the evening, and in between, you want to maintain that same sense of attention to God, right? Um, and at that point, to go back to Dulun al Misri, here's another nice quote in which he says that, you know, uh, for someone for someone who someone who isn't a Gnostic, someone who doesn't know God, for a normal follower of a religious faith, they might be motivated of fear of punishment, right? Either in this life or the next. For the Gnostic, they're motivated also by fear, but for the fear of a turn for the worse in their spiritual state, right? When you feel when your attention is on God, you feel connected to God, this thing that you found, you're sort of constantly sort of aware of it and sort of background at the foreground of your mind. To lose that is your greatest fear, right? Because to once you're there, there is nothing really to fear, right? Like, mm. you know, in a sense, you're immortal because you're tied to that which is immortal. You're tied to that which is beyond time. Mm. And that bit of your mind which is on it, which is, if, if that's the focus of your mind, if that's, if that's your attention, well, then that's it. Your attention, your awareness won't die now because your mm-hmm. awareness is now aware of mm-hmm. the timeless, right? Yeah. Um, and all kinds of things. And nothing can really happen to you, right? Like, sometimes you're sitting, sometimes you're standing up, sometimes you're hungry. But in any, if in any of these cases, if the thing that matters is your connection to God, there's nothing really bad can happen to you when you're in this quote-unquote state of prayer, when your spiritual state is sound. But then to lose that is the greatest disaster. At that point, yeah, you freak out, right? Mm. Um, so that's that's kind of, yeah, but that, those were my sort of initial, oh yeah, wait, no, one more thing. So then once you're in this state of mind, you open up the third spiritual possibility that we didn't quite talk about last time. So last time we used the term bhakti in terms of devotion, right? And so that's terms borrowed from Indian philosophy, from Indian thought. And specifically, a text called the Bhagavad Gita, which is, if you're going to pick one, it's, it's the one book that, you, you know, with Christianity or whatever, you read the Bible. Hinduism is obviously a vast literature, but the, the thing that, the, the one book that's recommended to people is this one, right? It's the sort of neatest summation. Uh, <laughs> Ali's just pointing it out to us. Um, it's a fascinating text, right? It comes from this epic, this, this, you know, it's considered the fifth Veda, this, this, this epic poem, and it's a subsection of it. And it's this dialogue between a, you know, avatar of God uh, and, and, and a human. And we can talk about it at, at another time, but uh, it basically it introduces these three methods of worship, three methods of the religious life, right? The first one being jnana, uh, knowledge of God. And that's kind of what we were talking about earlier. Yeah. Right? It's, you know God you directly. You concentrate your mind on God and you experience God and you know God. And then you know what it is and you know, you know that it is you or, or however it is that you want to un- understand it, right? But it's knowledge of God, right? Uh, pure awareness of God. The second one is devotion, worship of God. It's the emotions, the say, oh my God, God, you're great, that kind of thing. And the third one is karma yoga, and that's through your actions. Hmm. So you worship God through what you do, and that basically depends on who you are. And typically, it's at that point, who you are is understood in almost all civilizations is to be part of a society. So who you are is in large part... Um, to do with your social role. So if you're a cook, well, then you just cook with that same attention, right? Everything you do, you focus on it, knowing that you are participating in something absolute, right? By virtue of existing, you're existing in the absolute, and every single action of yours is part of the absolute. And in your awareness of that, that you carry through your everyday life, you can be in something like this sort of state of constant prayer. 
Um, so that, you know, so basically, if you don't want to spend your entire life just trying to take the path of yana and meditating and knowing God, or doing all these spiritual practices of worship and all the rest, you can't just live a normal life and be perfectly well religious, right? Uh, so that's what I wanted to sort of introduce that last last concept. So that's kind of the, the, the follow-up comments I had on last week. And um, I guess now that I still have the mic, I'll just say, um, don't do jnana, that's, you're, you'll go insane. Like, that's the one where you go insane. <laughs> uh, but I'll also say that for most people who are sort of critical, or, you, you, know, you, never, you, know, you don't want to take anything on faith or on reports from someone else. So unless you know it yourself, you won't be satisfied. Mm. So I'll say, mm. don't do it. But then if you're anything like me, <laughs> you'll, of course, refuse and you will do it. At which point I will say, do it for a while until you get it. And that point, switch to bhakti and karma yoga. Um, <laughs> but then, <laughs> if you're anything like me, <laughs> you know, you'll want to really, 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 really know it. And you'll stick on the, the first path, uh, which I just want to say can be a cursed and a thorny one. So again, just wanted to get that off my chest. <laughs> do take the spiritual path. Uh, but do please step off it at the earliest possible opportunity and just join a church and do some do some do some worship or be a good person. Um, don't do what I did, kids. Do as I say, not as I do. <laughs> so that's what I wanted to get off my chest. A, a, quick, a, a yeah. quick question: Can you like clarify what karma yoga is? Because mm-hmm. I think you mentioned about being in a society and having mm-hmm. a role. But what exactly is karma yoga? Yeah. So and what I, makes action karma? What makes action yoga? Because I can be doing my work. Hmm, uh, with hmm, focus hmm. and concentration, but karma yoga sounds like it's an act of worship in a sense. Hmm, 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 hmm. That's a the, sp- the second half especially is a very deep question, right? Um, to answer your question, so in the Bhagavad Gita, it's, we'll just answer by example, right? So in the text I'm, I'm speaking about, so it's this one section of the Mahabharata, this massive epic, which is you know about usually kingly succession that kind of thing. So Arjuna, he's uh, he's basically he's in a field of battle against his brothers, right, against his family. And he's like, I don't want to go into this battle killing my own family. This is horrible. This is definitely not, can't be the right thing to do. And his charioteer is Krishna, sort of avatar of Vishnu, you know, one of the conceptualizations of the supreme godhead. And he's like, dude, go into battle and kill your family. You're a warrior. Shit. Stop pissing about. This is what you got to do, right? You, this, is what, this is what your caste is. This is what you're put on earth to do. This is what your material form in this exact instantiation is doing. You are a general, you are a warrior, your thing is going to war. Go to war, right? Whereas if you're like, okay, like, well, again, to, you know, to, you know this, to bring it back to Zen, a famous koan about, you know, guy goes up to his master, uh, and he's like, what is enlightenment? How do you get enlightened? And the master's like, all right, have you had your rice? Have you had your genmai? Have you had your rice gruel? And he says, yeah, I've had my rice. Says, okay, then go wash your bowl. And in that moment, he's enlightened. It's like, well, no matter what, what story you're telling about the universe, after you have your food, or you wash your plate, right? And that's it. Like, what, there is nothing freaking else, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, so what is the grand secret of all things? Well, look, this is where you are. This is what you're doing. Do it. Like, stop mm-hmm. like, whoa, whoa, all this other shit, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so it's just kind of that. Like, if you're a warrior, go to war, right? Yeah. If you're a priest, do your priestly duties. Mm-hmm. If you're a thinker, Think, you know, mm-hmm. if you do your thing, man, like mm-hmm. if you're an asteroid, circle around the sun. Right? Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, to quote, so you've opened up the book and I can just read to it from yeah, here. Yeah, of course, go for it. So it, it has a summary of chapter three and chapter five in Karma Yoga. Right? So it says, everyone must engage in some sort of activity in the material world. 
but actions can either bind one to this world or liberate from, one from it. By acting for the pleasure of the Supreme, without selfish motives, one can be liberated from the law of karma, action and reaction, and attain transcendental knowledge of the self and the Supreme. So then the point is, it's this, right? Outwardly performing all actions, but inwardly renouncing their fruits. The wise man, purified by the fire of transcendental knowledge, attains peace, detachment, forbearance, spiritual vision, and bliss. Mm. So you just go through your life, right? Mm. But you're doing it, basically, you're like, okay, well, I, you know, the universe flows through certain states. If you read a, a book or something, something happened 50 years ago, mm. you see from the outside, what happened was this person did that, and this person did that, and this person did that. Ah, I too am part of this thing. Mm. I'm just going to do my bit. Mm. I'm just going mm. to do exactly what it is that I need to do. Yeah. Just this this brick is there. It's part of this building. I'm just going to be the brick in the part of the building. Yeah. And in doing that, I know fully well that I am part of the action of the universe, which is tied to the transcendental supreme. Right. So it seems like that karma yoga is taking responsibility for mm. your life, but seeing mm. seeing your actions as tied with the infinite, mm. not seeing it as mm. I'm just doing this for myself. Mm. I'm just doing this as a way of working, you mm. see it as a way of worship. Mm. So your your sort of attitude towards it changes, but you're mm. still doing the same thing. Mm. You're still washing dishes, you're still going to work, mm. you're still waking up, but you're seeing everything as part of um, this divine, infinite... Um, you see yourself as part of this divine, infinite thing, that mm. what you're doing is not just for you, mm. Mm. that the work you're doing somehow has some effect on the larger community. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Is, is, that, is that what karma yoga is? I mean, look, the easiest way, so that we, we talked about Ram Das last week, and the easy, he, he tells a story about, I, I don't think he actually mentions a name, but there's a 20th century Hindu saint who was a housewife. And she says, all she ever did in her life, she says, what is my life? Well, I cook food for my family and for all, the, all of my family's guests. I wake up, I do that, I do household chores, right? Uh, and I sort of clean the dishes, and that's it. So... I do that every single day in the knowledge that I'm serving God, mm. that the, every single mouth in my family is the mouth of God. Every single guest, every single guest that passes into our living room is God. And every time I'm cooking for them, I'm cooking for God. Every time yeah. I'm cleaning the dishes, I'm cooking the dishes of God, right? So, you know, uh, I see. feminist critique of this example aside, service, right? You know that I am God, everything is God. And so let me just... Mm. serve other people right that's the easy way right mm. that way you can just be like okay i'm safe <laughs> yeah. i'm doing a right thing i'm doing a good thing socially i'm going to doing a good thing for other people and you invest that with full religious significance right mm. 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 that being said you know not every action needs to be overtly in the service of people for it to qualify as being part of the universe right so my friend teo and i in this very funny conversation sitting in front of the radcam you know, i hadn't seen him in a while and so i asked him like so like, basically, we get he's a physicist, and I basically ask him, so like, what's it? What's the mystical experience like for different people? And he's like, it's the same, isn't it? Like, surely it's the same. Uh, for a physicist doing physics, surely like that like gets them into this sort of heightened state. It's the same as when the artist is painting and really in the flow in painting, or the writer is really in the flow of writing, or the tennis player Roger Federer is really in the flow of playing tennis. Surely it's the same, he says. Mm-hmm. And then you get this very funny example about this Russian officer uh, in like. I think the late 1800s, like Tolstoy's sort of kind of era, uh, of this guy, and so he's basically, he's part of the Russian army, and they're involved in just these absolutely brutal crackdowns mm. 
on indigenous populations there. And so there he is just mowing down people with like this cutlass, right? And wow. that's when he had his mystical experience. As his sort of cutlass touched the neck of this person he was running down, that's when it happened. That's when he became, you know, one with the universe and everything. And he realized, I am one of this, I am one tiny part of this massive thing. And mm. I am actually the entirety of this massive thing in this tiny one part. Mm. And which bit of the universe am I? I am the bit that cuts off heads. That mm. is the thing the universe does. All right, so, so a, a, quick, a quick critique to that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Is yeah, that, yeah. Um, if, if you take Hitler, for example, yeah, exactly. or some other uh, yeah, yeah. individuals, then are you saying that by fulfilling a role as being a dictator, as being a murderer, yeah. they're just being with the infinite, that there's no difference between someone who worships God and loves people and yeah. serves them and someone who kills them and still has the experience <laughs> of the flow. In killing, I can imagine that, but uh, there seems to be a difference because one to me is a virtuous path, mm-hmm. a path that is a path of love and yeah, the yeah, other yeah, is yeah. a path of harm. Yeah, 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 yeah. Clear difference. So the second one was a spicy example, right? So but first of all, there is a difference between Hitler and this Russian guy. First of all, like you kept like you just have to ask yourself how seriously do I take this Russian guy? You could just say he's a madman, right? Yeah. But um the point is if if we take him at his word, he is proceeding to do his warlike duties self self-consciously as a spiritual act in a way that Hitler isn't. Hitler's doing it as a statesman for the greater good of the German nation. He's not doing it for God to enact godhood right now does that mean that i personally think that every single that that, that you should kill people no what it is is that like if you really like what if, is if, if i'm killing people i should continue that's, doing it that's what it is in the gita when i first read the gita like a decade ago that my first reaction was that i was like oh this was nonsense this is crazy this is you know it's justifying war i was reading I was studying international relations at the time right? like oh this is horrible how can this how can this be a great spiritual text and of course it's only later that you really you know, you really sort of, you know, leave those kind of more petty assumptions aside. Nevertheless, the fact remains, right? The example they took was a warrior, right? He then goes on to murder his family, right? He's a fratricide mm-hmm. and he kills his teacher, right? Like it's a big deal, <laughs> right? Yeah. And that's what God tells him to do. Yeah. Point being, right? Like at the end of the day, what you are is what you are and what you do is what you do. And if you, so long as you know truly what you are and what it is that's going on mm. yeah like it kind of does go a little bit beyond the realms of common good and evil mm, mm, mm. that it is a little scary right but like yeah. mm. but, but there it, is there is that I've, yeah. got, I've got a quick question which is yeah. that um, I can see what you're saying that in both cases they're fulfilling a role mm. they're mm. doing their karma yoga mm. But it seems like that if there is anything called karma, yeah, yeah. then for the person who is killing his family and just killing people <laughs> in general, it's, yeah, it yeah, seems yeah, like yeah. he's going towards a negative path. Yeah, um, yeah, 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 so that yeah. negative path will send him to reincarnations that are, yeah, 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 that are yeah, lower. Yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. yeah we, you can, we can go beyond good and evil, as in mm. not have a moral judgment on it, mm-hmm, but, but mm-hmm. a simple fact of choosing to... to to do those acts, mm. namely killing people, mm. he is choosing a certain path. Mm. It's like how a certain there are certain physical laws. Mm-hmm. So let's call that a spiritual law. Mm-hmm. Is that if you are constantly killing people, even if you're fulfilling your role, <laughs> um, you've chosen a path that is different to the path of someone who is perhaps saving people. Mm. There must mm-hmm. be a difference between the two. Okay, so be- before we completely muddle up ourselves up, I was just going for a kind of spicy example. The point I was trying to make was that. If you want it to, if you want it to be easy, 
serve other people, like this lady who just every time she served another human being, she did it knowing that they were God, so she's serving God. Okay, and then the point being, it's slightly more complicated than that because look, artists make beautiful paintings. You don't want to say that Michelangelo, right, was oh, you know, completely off the track because he never served. Anyone food? He was just painting pretty paintings, and that's、mm. useless. That's not、mm. a good way to serve God. No, like you can serve God by painting paintings. Right?、Mm. You can serve God for, by going on long walks. You know, you don't have to be obsessed by a constant moral injunction to help other people. It's the simplest way, right?、Mm. But like pretty pretty much anything you do, right?、Mm. The rosaries, the prayer beads, the tantric practices, any kind of action, right, can be invested with this sort of existential weight, right? And so, of course, I took the most extreme example because it was funniest, and because it had to do with the text. But to go back to what you're saying, yeah, yeah. So, like, the thing with karma, right, is that, and here, I think we, when we get to talk a bit more about the self, we can talk about this as well,、mm-hmm. talking about the, the, what it is that that、uh, that collects karma, right?、Mm-hmm. But yeah, the basic idea with karma is that actions have consequences, right? And those actions have consequences that stay in you, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So, like. You know, if I get really angry at you, that leaves a mark, right? L- like,、mm-hmm. um, I might be more likely to get angry in the future. Like, you might look at me in a weird way, which might cause me to feel weird, right? There will be a- there will be things that it will affect me, right?、Mm-hmm. Everything I do、yeah. affects who I am and what I am and my state of emotions, right? And that there's no there's seemingly no end to that.、Mm. At what point will what you do not? <laughs> You know, not have negative consequences on how you feel and what you are、yeah. in the future.、Yeah. Well, the kind of the sort of basic answer of the, of the Gita is that the moment that that stops is when you do start doing it in service of God.、Mm. Right? Mm. You, every action you're doing, you're not doing for the consequences of it, or for yourself, <coughs> or for anyone. You're just doing it for God. At that point,、mm. your actions will stop being this thing which、mm. will keep on rebounding on you in negative ways.、Mm. Right? Mm. Couldn't, yeah, yeah. couldn't a soldier or a warrior?、Um, Use the justification. Well, I'm doing. I'm killing people for God. They have. And they have. <laughs> and, 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 Millions of them. And、have. they continue to do it. And they continue to. <laughs> I think that the path of killing is not yeah, a path、yeah. of God at all. As yeah, in, no, I agree. As in, as in think of the law. Like there is、um, a law. I think in in the、um, in the Jewish and、uh, not Jewish. Sorry, in Egyptian mm-hmm. mysticism, the law、mm-hmm. of polarity.、Mm-hmm. You know that there are there's. I know I don't know exactly whether it's good or bad. It's just two polar opposites. You have、mm. male and female. You have、uh, polar opposites almost in everything.、Mm-hmm. So in a sense, any evil act that is done by someone,、mm. they are still part of the infinite,、mm-hmm. right?、Mm-hmm. But they are part of the other side of the infinite.、Mm-hmm. So like God is at the same time,、um, at the same time maybe the devil or something like、mm-hmm. that. Because、mm-hmm. how can the devil be something but but God? Right, right. In some sense, right, yeah, but, God, but yeah, maybe yeah. the devil is just the sort of energy or the polarity that、mm-hmm. has that has certain tendencies or certain、um, emotions and、yeah. certain psychological traits associated with it. So like、yeah. the the action of killing. And even just justifying the name of God、mm-hmm. um, would not be the same path as service and, and loving people, and,、mm-hmm. and this clearly there's a difference. Like、mm. it breaks down my moral intuition to think that they're both serving God.、Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't so, think they are.、Uh, so first of all, let me just put this on record: peace is my middle name. My middle name is Solomon. I'm entirely on board. I've never studied a martial art for this reason. Never carried a weapon, right? Like I'm on your, I'm on board, right? <laughs> But how about this? Here's so to leave aside some of the 
well, if you want, we can really stick with the whole murder thing, right? But to, let's 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 make it more precise. What about a a a, a devotee of Bacchus or of Dionysus, right? The god of wine, mm. the god of revelry. Mm-hmm. Yeah, isn't don't they serve God best by getting shit faced drunk? Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, Hagrid, Hagrid. I th- I think this is an this is a very important place to like oh. discuss oh. Yeah, yeah, because yeah. Yeah. Uh, I was listening to this guy who was a Jewish. Uh, he was a teacher of Jewish mysticism. Mm. And he explained that if you just tell people mm. all is one and all is God, yeah, yeah, yeah. it is problematic on, on many levels. Yeah, for sure. Because, for sure, for sure. because at that level... <laughs> I'm at, falling into the problems, yeah. yeah. <laughs> at, at, at that level of reality, of yeah, yeah. non-duality, yeah, yeah, yeah. you have one level. And then by the time it filters through yeah, our yeah, experience, yeah. we have dualities. We have polarity, we have good and bad, whatever that means. Let's just say the negative and the positive path. If someone is getting drunk and they're they're serving the god of wine, mm. well, yeah, they're they're serving the god of wine, mm. but they're not serving the god of right, I don't right. know the other gods. It's mm. like which god are you serving? Mm. Are you serving a god mm. of peace and love? Mm. Are you mm. serving the god of uh, hedonism? Mm. Well, mm. there must mm. be a god for mm. that because mm. there's mm. like a certain we like we have different um, we have different pressures on us. Yeah. Sometimes you may feel like we, we want to just get drunk and shit faced. Mm-hmm. But that's a force acting on us, mm-hmm. right? To act mm-hmm. in that way. So let's just conceptualize it as a God that wants us to just get shit faced. Fair <laughs> enough. But I don't think that's the same. In, in a way, the substance may be the same. Mm-hmm. And at the ultimate, like, final level of reality, they are the same. But at the level of reality which concerns us, there must be a difference between the God of wine. And the God of peace and love, and the so, God, the God right, of right, Jesus. Right, right. So, so I think arguably the idea is that, like, once you actually get into this total flow state where your attention is completely directed on the act itself, the differences between the different actions, between hedonism and peace and love, etc., actually become totally superficial. Like, it doesn't matter <laughs> at a certain point. Like, because when you're caught in the realm of okay, like I have a certain role to fulfill, right? Like, I am going to. Um, I, I am going to uh, please the, the, the god of hedonism and wine, etc., right? Um, when, when you're stuck in the act of doing the role itself, then you're caught in the moment-to-moment, you know, causal chain of actions, right? Like, oh, like, I am going to drink this wine, and this wine is going to make me drunk, um, and therefore I'm going to be fulfilling my role. Or if you're, you know, trying to please the god of, of, of love or of peace, right, like, perhaps you're going to say, like, oh, I'm going to do this to protect my community, I'm going to follow X, Y, Z actions, etc., etc., etc. There's, like, this sequence or a chain of events, right, that causally depend on each other in order for you to fulfill the role. But once you get into this total flow state where you're completely united with the action that you're doing, whether or not that's, you know, drinking wine or serving your community, etc., right, it actually becomes completely a-causal. You lose any sense of, like, one action following another being stuck in this chain, and you're just there in the present um, with the action itself, if, if any of what I'm saying makes sense. No, it, it, um, it, make, sense, it makes sense. sense. It brings me to a possible uh, distinction between... Being with God, as in, of course, if you're in a flow state, by definition, I think we will we'll agree that you're you're with God, because your your sense of self gets dissolved and you don't right. have the understanding of the self. However, at the same time, there are different. Let's just use the metaphor of, or let's just use a term. There are different energies mm-hmm. that we can embody. Mm-hmm. Now we can embody the energy of hate and mm-hmm. be 
in a complete flow state of hate. Right, right. You can meditate on hate, and right, right. You, you will you will, you will feel and you can oneness. be a, and you can be a Zen assassin too. Yeah. Yeah. Completely yeah, yeah, fine, yeah, yeah, yeah. but however, the the energies are different. They're not the same. Yeah, and that's why even though things are one on one level, mm-hmm. they're also distinct on on other levels and you have to you can't just say things are one and everything is god that that is problematic that is really problematic in my in my view um right right because there are different levels as as i said earlier right right so it seems like there are these two different notions of enlightenment right so one is that no matter what the role is that you're fulfilling um so long as you're getting locked into that into that flow state of pure present-centered awareness um then you then you are acting in an enlightened manner the alternative view is that in order to be enlightened, you have to um, please all the gods and you have to fulfill <laughs> all of the different roles. Um, and yeah, I mean, I completely agree that like the, the, the first route poses a number of problems. Um, mm. Like I was, I, I was alluding to these Zen assassins earlier, right? Like, um, yeah. like, like back in, in the era of World War II, right? There were a number of, um, uh, of, of Buddhist, Zen Buddhist assassins um, who uh, like actually kind of got away scot-free with the government mm-hmm. um, uh, and they were using their practice in order to be able to assassinate more effectively mm-hmm. um, and, and, so, and, and, and so I think I think that points to the idea right that enlightenment is not just about pure concentration um, there is this idea from this uh, mindfulness teacher Shinzen Young who decomposes mindfulness into three different components one of them is concentration right and he says that that um, that uh, the act of concentration is intrinsically rewarding, that when you are fully focused on something, regardless of what the object of concentration is, and that's something that's inherently rewarding. Um, but that's actually where the limits of... Um, of of, uh, of of Hindu style meditation lies because according to Shinzen, um, there was actually uh, a limit past which uh, people who are pass people who are practicing meditation that was solely about um, you know focusing on a particular object. Um, people who were practicing that kind of meditation actually um, couldn't progress further on the spiritual route. And it wasn't until the Buddha introduced this notion mm-hmm. of basically sensory clarity mm-hmm. uh, of gaining insight on the nature mm-hmm. of the self mm-hmm. that he became fully enlightened and actually progress deeper in the spiritual path so i think it is about more than just um uh than concentration uh in a particular role or concentration in multiple roles that you know f- fulfill different functions mm. um I, I i think uh at least in in, in shinzen's model it's about gaining sensory clarity and then furthermore also about gaining equanimity mm. uh of, of learning to um not suppress emotions as they arise and learning to let go of them um as they pass away mm. So yes, that, that is that is a major point, right? The turn towards Buddhism. If we're speaking about karma, right? So that's obviously the term karma will probably come to most through Buddhism, right? Uh, and yeah, it, it sort of it takes it in a very um, different direction, right? So one quick thing I'll say is that um, it isn't just like willy nilly. It's like look, the the caste system was set up by this. It, this it was following the Vedic code, right? Which was revelation, right? Revelation from the gods. So so long as you following your caste rule. It's a social thing, right? It's not mm. just, I feel like killing people, so I'll kill people. It's like, well, look, are you, you know, a sergeant in the army of this king and he's ordered you to go kill people? Well, then you kill people because you're part of, you're doing the social thing, right? So it's not just if purely, it's an individual choice, right? It is mediated by this web of, of, of sort of social relations, right? Nevertheless, that following, you know, even with that thing in place, you still will be doing things which we would not generally consider bad, right? So then with the way that the sort of the Buddha takes it, what karma is, it's less about this sort of like, you know, doing your role in the story of the universe, which, you know, the priests will interpret for you. 
it is you yourself understand the laws of your own psychology, right? And you see that when you do actions that are harmful, you cause yourself harm, and you directly see that, right? So it's like, okay, here, look, let me. Okay, this is not what the Buddha said, but for example, let me experimentally slap a child and see. Let me just in that moment or imagine slapping a child, and in that moment see what happens to my mind. And you'll see that if you pay very close attention, if you've got good concentration, you'll see that that moment that happens, some you know, there's a really bad like, oof. It's, it traumatizes you basically, it causes you trauma that you will then much later on down the line have to somehow. Yeah, extirpate, get out of you, right? So that's that's the other kind of view of karma, right? It's not this like, fo- it's not like you're following your dharma. You're following your role that God has laid out for you and doing the next mm. action that God has laid out for you. It is this law of internal cause and effect, right? Yeah. This law of psychological cause and effect mm-hmm. that everything you do has psychological consequences for you and yeah. will continue to do so as long as you remain, right? Yeah, karma is just um, causality, yeah. It's causality, yeah. and then the way to liberate yourself from it is to understand what actions I do I take that cause me harm? Mm-hmm. What actions do I take that don't cause me harm, right? Mm-hmm. And anything that is immoral, right, would fall in the first category right so that will cause you damage yeah Mm -hmm. Yeah. so that brings me back to the idea um that it's not just a flow state of being Mm -hmm. with god Mm -hmm. it's also Mm -hmm. the consequences the fruit of the action right Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. the the idea is that the mind is in a state of peace and Mm -hmm. equanimity Mm -hmm. and doesn't get distracted Mm -hmm. um so you can take the example we were just talking about Mm -hmm. the god of wine Mm -hmm. and getting Mm -hmm. pissed (laughs) well that that's the fruit of those kind of actions seems to be firstly a harm to your health uh, uh, uh. and the secondly um, a disturbance to your mind such mm. that you don't you're not going to be functioning properly you're not mm. going to be treating your family your friends mm. and everyone else the right way you're not, you're not going to use your finances the right mm. way mm. Mm. so there must be this objective in a sense of this objective morality somehow um, being involved in the idea of enlightenment, not just mm. being with God, because again, God is everything. So by definition, anything you're doing, you're being with God as mm-hmm. long as you concentrate. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So there must be something more to, to, to like leading a virtuous life. So, so let's say yes. Let's mm-hmm. say yes. But why? Why to? Why does being with God and knowing God and following God and being in line with God? necessitate virtuous action mm-hmm. why so do you mean uh, well it depends what you mean by God right do you mean the the why, idea why, why would you not be yeah. in line with God if you were just so if you know God and you know that you're part of the universe and you know that you're one with everything and the and the, 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 the one thing that you are within the universe is this bit that causes other people harm that goes around slapping people mm-hmm. right what it, why is that wrong? Yeah, yeah. It's a very tricky question. Yes, um, there is a book called The Law of One, hmm. and obviously the the, uh, the context of the book is quite strange because hmm. the uh, essentially uh, there is a channeler and hmm. a scriber, and they're channeling this uh, entity called Ra, hmm. and Ra tells tells him a lot of metaphysical truth, hmm. quote unquote truth. Now you don't have to believe it, but there is material in the Law of One. By Ra, which says that there are two paths: mm-hmm. the path, the path of service to self, mm-hmm. and the path of service to others. Mm-hmm. So you can easily understand morality as this: is that any act you you have, which which aggrandizes the self or um, t- um, leads towards, goes towards a direction of servicing the self. Mm-hmm. So, for example, if I'm 
if I'm slapping a child, <laughs> surely that cannot be service to others. <laughs> uh, doesn't make sense to me. There's, there seems to be a contradiction there. And so similarly, when someone says, well, I love animals, <laughs> and at the same time, I buy meat from factory farms, <laughs> doesn't make sense. Yeah. Um, but, but I think that also doesn't uh, address the question that David was, was raising, sure. right? Which is like, if everything is one, um, then how could it be that uh, any action that you perform um, isn't inherently virtuous? Um, it's like somehow, somehow like, cast like, off from the one. Like why? Why do you need service to others in order to act in accordance with God when everything that you're doing is basically a manifestation of God? Okay, I. I that's a good question. So I, again, I, going back right. to the, going back to the law of one, mm. it's not that the, so the path of servicing others or the path of servicing self is good or bad. Right. There's no good or bad attached to it. Like the mm-hmm. idea of the idea of good and bad is in the mind. We have mm-hmm. we have created these ideas. Mm-hmm. But as you said it's like it's, it's just a cause. Mm-hmm. The ser- the path of servicing others leads to a certain direction. Mm-hmm. Um, one towards unity mm-hmm. and one towards being with God. Mm-hmm. Whereas the path of servicing the self leads towards the opposite direction of, right, right. of becoming more separated the terminology of densities yeah, yeah, yeah so yeah, yeah. W- right now according to law one we are in the third density hmm. so third density is when we observing each other hmm. as hmm. separated i am separate from you hmm. you're separate from me there hmm. is a possibility of enlightenment here hmm. but it's still there is separation there's suffering hmm. and so maybe the reason we're here hmm is either because we progressed from being more separated and now we've progressed to this level where mm. now we have an opportunity of closing the gap of separateness and mm-hmm. becoming, getting closer to unity of experience. Mm-hmm. Or we can choose the path of service to self mm. and becoming more separated. Mm-hmm. Doesn't mean mm-hmm. one is good or one is bad. Right mm-hmm. is really clear, there's no good and bad, it's just different mm-hmm. paths. Yeah. Um, but when I use the word God, I don't mean in terms of the substance of God mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. the substance, the infinity is always this everything. Mm-hmm. But what I mean is there are different paths that lead to different directions in God. Mm-hmm. One mm-hmm. path leads to separation, the other path leads to unity, uh, mm-hmm. leads to unity I yeah, see. Yeah, with yeah, God. Okay. So, th- so it's all one, think of it as a circle. There's yeah. all one circle. Yeah, 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 and yeah. at the bottom um, part of the circle, you have the negative path, mm-hmm. which is not bad. It's just cause and effect. Mm-hmm. You've, the things you've done has led you to the place you are. Mm-hmm. And that's where you are. You know, sometimes you mm. play a game. Mm. Mm. Just think of you playing a game and there are different um, levels to the game. Mm. Mm. You can mm. jump up or you can drop down. Mm. There's mm. nothing mm. good or bad about that. Yeah, it's, yeah, just, yeah. it's just the cause and effect of the game. Now, the bottom of the game and the top of the game is still the game. Mm. still God and infinite. Mm. Mm-hmm. But there's a clear distinction between being mm. with God and and getting closer to oneness yeah, yeah. and becoming more separated. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's, that's what I wanted to say about... Mm. Um, so, th- so yeah, that's yeah. actually a pretty good answer, right? Yeah. So what, is, so what is it that happens? You know God. You know what totality is. You know what infinity is. You, yeah. you conceptualize that you're able to sort of grasp that. Uh, yeah. And at that point, you realize, okay, well, like, the oneness of it all is perfect, right? Uh, what desire is, is wanting to be united with this other object, right? And then being deprived of that causes you pain. Mm. Well, then, like, that only happens when there's separation, right? Like, I can only feel pangs of hunger when the bread is outside of me, right? I can only feel pangs of grief when my mother and my father are outside of me, yeah. right? It's, it's only in separation, right, is the, thing, is the cause of suffering, right? If, everything, if, you were, if you were already united to every single object of your desire, 
then you would be fine. Mm-hmm. It's the lack of that, right? Yeah. I like this girl and she's not with me. I miss this person. I want this thing. I want to be on this stage talking to people and I'm not. I'm here, you know, masturbating in a corner, right? Like, <laughs> it's the separation from the object of your desire, right? Yes. That is suffering, right? So then the, the, the sheer logic of it is, well, then, yeah, so then what is good, what is nice, what feels good, what doesn't feel bad, is to be united with everything. So the more you go towards... The more you play the game of trying to sort of fulfill your sense desires like this, sense desires, you, you get what I mean, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. You, this thing of separateness, right? The more you do that, well, the further you are from the union, right? Yes. The further you are from the union, the more in pain you are, yeah. therefore the more damned you are. Mm. And this becomes very clear once you understand the concept of totality and infinity. So that's a very good answer, right? Another, another good answer, right, is, is that the, the very notion of unitive experience, that we're all one, means that you perceive others as self, mm-hmm. right? Mm. You see a thing another person right you see it's certainly very easy with another human being you you don't really see difference in yourself and them you know that we're all one you see their eyes you see their hands and you know that they are the same self as you and it would be like again like the 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 the, the teeth biting the hand and be like well oh, oh, wait, this isn't me well no no, no. like <laughs> your entire body is your entire body right like yes. it doesn't matter yeah it doesn't matter if your teeth aren't getting hurt when you're biting your hand you're still getting hurt because you are your whole body we're just so I am every single thing I experience. Yes. Mm-hmm. And so there's the bit of me which is my teeth, the bit of me which is my hand, the bit of me that's your hand, the bit of me that's your teeth. I don't want any of this to be in pain, you know? Yeah. And the more you perceive the world in this way, the less given you are to cause any bit of it suffering, right? Mm-hmm. So that's another, another way, another way yes. to it, right? And the Christian term, terminology can say you're binding the flesh or you're mm. binding with the spirit. Mm. As in you can... There, you know, there's this idea in Plato that there's like a white horse and a black horse. Mm. Mm. Uh, <laughs> one, one represents your your desires, your desires in terms of your hedonistic desires, like mm, yeah. pleasure mm. and worldly pleasure, and mm. the other is a, is a white, serene um, horse mm. that's about godly desires. Mm. And there's a distinction between the two, even though they're both desires that are in the infinite. There's a clear distinction between those desires, and you can see that distinction in people's lives. Mm. Someone who just sits down and smokes weed and watch, mm. watches TV has a different life to someone who is, I don't know, maybe a, an entrepreneur creating a product mm. that helps other people, maybe solve a problem. Mm. There's a clear difference between those things. Mm. Mm. But mm. Um, I think it's really useful to remove moral language, say good and bad, sure, and sure, sure. just say the negative path and the positive, just sure, like sure. the electrical charge of, just like electricity, negative. Yeah. There's nothing right, good right, or bad right. about it, it's just what is. Yes, yeah, so the, the negative, the positive thing makes a lot of sense. And I, I want to bring this back to what you were saying earlier about density. Yeah. Right. So we were talking about self. We've already talked about Buddha. We've talked a bit about uh, the Gita, sort of Samkhya um, philosophy within Hinduism. But you know, one of the earliest, uh, you know, both of these texts, both the Buddha and and the Bhagavad Gita, you know, are like 500, 300, 200, you know, BC. Far predating them are the giants, right? The Jains, mm. right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so the earliest, one of the very most ancient religions in the world, uh, probably the earliest surviving non-Hinduism. You know, a sect in India, it's, it, it, it's, it doesn't accept the Vedas uh, as, as revealed by God. So they're, they're a heterodox school, right, uh, within Indian thought, uh, Indian religion. And they still exist today, right? And they're, they're, they're one of the, the few remaining, like, properly ascetic religions, right? Um, so, anyway, long story short, their, their theory of the self is, is very neat. It's a very good starting spot. They have a theory of self, which is that what you are is this jiva, right? Mm. So you are a, an atom, right? You are a dot. You are an infinitesimally small point, right? Mm-hmm. 
uh, we can talk about the the the, the sort of um, correspondence with Leibniz at a, at a later point. But that's basically what you are. You're a soul. You are this node of consciousness, mm-hmm. single node of consciousness. And then this node, through its actions, through its passage through the world, through the passage through material circumstance, right, gains weight or loses weight. Right. Mm-hmm. So you accrete. If you pass through something and you commit an action that entangles you in it, mm. you accrete weight. Mm. Right? Yeah, and yeah. then that it sinks you down further. Yeah, into exactly. It. And yeah. then you're passing through it, and then you get into another thing which entangles you in it, mm. and whoosh, that gets stuck to you, mm. and whoosh, you descend deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper into this mm. muck, into this morass mm. of material circumstances of desire, of going here, of going there, of doing this, of touching that, of doing that, right? And so then the, the object in a spiritual practice is to get your jiva clean and light so then it you know, comes up, 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 up until it leaves the muck and then you're gone. <coughs> and then you're free, right? Mm-hmm. And that you do that through radical, radical, radical mm-hmm. non-harming, right? Mm-hmm. There, so with the Buddha, mm-hmm. he's not quite as radical as them, but for him it's, it's well, I mean, massive debate, obviously. <laughs> but like I think you know, fairly, I'm not pushing the boat out too far when I say with the Buddha it's basically internal. It's it's intentional. It's about what. It's about are, do, are you consciously doing something, and is there a conscious imprint in your mind? Right. Mm-hmm. It's not like, you know, to, on the on the way in, I stepped on a microscopic bug, and I killed it, and oh no, well you got to spend another ten lifetimes doing tapas, doing you know aesthetic practices to get rid of that taint. No, it's like, did you consciously? Is there an imprint in in your mind? Right. Mm-hmm. Whereas for them, the, the the giants, is no. Like if you step on a bug, you no, like that, that, that's weight, right? Mm-hmm. There's a universe is keeping count, right? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. It's not just your mind that's going to keep in count. Mm-hmm. So there's that. That's, that's, that's the notion of density, yeah. right? Yeah. That mm-hmm. as you pass through mm-hmm. the world, your actions either entangle you deeper, make you heavier, mm-hmm. more gravity rather than grace. So pulling you walls down. Gravity rather right? than grace. Wow, that, that, that's that's a hell of a term. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Um, yeah, and, and also to, to, to tie this back to the, the internal work that you were talking about. So so Shinzen Young, the, the teacher that I was speaking about earlier, mm-hmm. um, has this idea of viscosity. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. That uh, viscosity is in a way the opposite of equanimity or mm-hmm. of flow. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, that when you're in a non-mindful state, mm. um, uh, thoughts, emotions, conscious sensations in general pass through you in a much slower way as it's passing through like a viscous medium. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas when you're in a state of equanimity where you're not suppressing things as they arise and mm-hmm. not um, holding on to things as, uh, as, um, as, they're, as, as, as they're passing away, um, uh, it, the, the things uh, flow much more, much more smoothly through the medium of your being. Um, so I think this notion of viscosity is sort of like this notion of like getting entangled. Mm-hmm. Um, that, mm-hmm. that in a way, like your entanglement with the um, harm that you caused in your past mm-hmm. uh, is actually the the sort of thing that's cr- giving rise to this viscosity in your mm-hmm. system. Mm-hmm. Yeah, as you accrete mass, right? Exactly. Deeper yeah, yeah, into yeah. This, the more the, the more viscous. Right, 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 right. Elements of of, of experience. Right? Indeed. Yeah. 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 One uh, quick question that I had was that well, taking the idea of density, it does imply that there must be some form of free will. Because oh, oh, God. <laughs> but it's important because, because for example, if, if the universe just is right, right. and it's manifesting the way it is because of what is, yeah. it's, 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 it's a bit unfair. <laughs> if someone is selfish and they're just like That's getting it, yeah. worse, like yeah. surely there must be, because the universe works by laws. Like yeah. there must be laws that make sense. Yeah. You know, there's laws of physics. There must be laws of spirit or yeah. laws of spirituality. Yeah, if there's, yeah, yeah. there's a law of polarity, you can choose the path of love. 
and you climb up, you become less dense, mm. you become lighter, mm. and you get more united, closer to unity with God. Well, what what about the guys who are selfish? And what about the guys who are selfish and they can't really do anything about it? It's just yeah. what they are. Um, where's the grace for them? And why are they being treated differently by you, the universe if yeah. if they have no free will? You know what I'm trying yeah, to say? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, okay, okay, very good question. So my initial thoughts, so for the Buddha, the universe isn't good. <laughs> There's no God, right? There is just the laws of physics. There is just the laws of consciousness. And that is it, right? And mm. it's simply the un... It is just simply the, the sort of... In nirvana, enlightenment, is this is the sort of the self-unspooling, right, of these threads of consciousness, right? Yeah. And that's it. It's like finally, after all this... <laughs> like just pure deterministic mm. one thing to the next, mm-hmm. finally at some point it you know, turns in on itself and it finally dissolves, right? Mm-hmm. After all... After the longest possible journey mm-hmm. through all the possible things, mm-hmm. right? Finally, bit by bit by bit, it comes undone, mm-hmm. right? So there's no, God isn't no, it isn't good, there is no grace, right? So that it takes that side, but that's why, again, I'm so fascinated by Buddhism. It's the one proper, like, good, true, you know, down to the bone, mystical, you know, you know, uh, like, like just you know, the, the one, like, long-standing intellectual and spiritual, uh, you know, tradition towards life, right? That just doesn't play this kind of game that the universe mm, yeah. is good and we're God, and so and, and, and it works, right? It, it makes a lot of sense. So that's the first answer. As to the second answer, well, <laughs> well, basically, such thoughts compel you to the conclusion that everything is grace. I I don't see it yet. I can't see God's plan, but in the end, everything is grace. Jesus is going to save uh, us all. Yeah, it will all work out in the end, right? I just can't fucking see why, right? And the thing is that why does it compel you to that? Well, basically. Okay, the more you think, okay, like, yeah, you just think, well, look, eventually it will trend upward, right? Eventually, mm-hmm. no matter how dark it gets, no matter how long you spend in hell and deeper you go into hell, right? Eventually, Christ will harrow hell. All kind of religious traditions that do play God will in some way say either Christ will come and so therefore, it'll, you know, there will just be grace, right? He will just forgive despite all you've done, etc. The universe will have somehow trend upwards in the end. Or if you don't want to play it like so interventionist that God will make himself separate a part of himself to sacrifice himself and through that sacrifice save everything, you can just say it all in the end it all trends upwards, right? It's like imagine like a straight line with like a boing thing under it, like a belly under it. Mm-hmm. Well the bit that's the top remains on the top and the the sort of the belly that goes under it, the sort of semicircle under it, yeah, it goes down for a long time, but then it eventually comes up. And that's how everything eventually goes, right? Mm-hmm. Now if you think about this really hard, you end up in some really dark places, right? Because, okay, so, all right, so there's an Alan Watts line in which he says, okay, look, what's going on here? Why, all, if we're all God, bupity bup, which we all know, it's obvious we are God, etc., then why all this suffering? Why all this apparent nonsense? And he's like, well, look, you know, you know, okay, there's one story where he's like, I think it's quite late in his life as well. Like, I, I can't even imagine the darkness of the thoughts that must have gotten into this cute little story at the end. Where he's like, yeah, so this is all a dream. Right? This is all God's dream. We're all safe down deep. And, you know, God is just this thing that's dreaming all the universes. And God is actually just totally safe, embedded in absoluteness. And everything is, what we're seeing is just this dream. Well, yeah, so imagine you had a, you could dream any dream you wanted. 
And the first thing what you would do is dream yourself a palace full of, you know, beautiful people and you know, lots of sumptuous feasts. And you just have feasts for years and tens of thousands of years and eventually you get bored. So then you'd dream a great big adventure where you'd go and you'd slay some dragon and there would be daring do and great threats, but you would defeat the dragon, right? But then eventually that would get boring, right? These grand heroic tales. And mm. so eventually you'd come up to a life basically like yours, which is humdrum and has, you know, pangs of, 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 of loneliness. And then, you know, sickness, which sucks, but basically kind of boring, right? Mm. And that's why he explains what it's boring. And he says, okay, so he says, well, what is the logic of the universe then? The logic is, how lost can I get? Mm. How deeply can I forget myself? Mm. How far can I go before remembering that I am God? Because, and coming yeah. back to, okay, yeah. it's all okay. Yeah. And yeah. that, right, that is dark, right? Because, mm-hmm. yeah. like, th- I mean, <laughs> like, you can get pretty lost, right? You can get really... <laughs> really lost <laughs> so if that's what this is all about it basically if the entire universe is essentially some kind of like masochistic game mm. that god is playing with itself for shits and giggles right because right? it got bored with all the other dreams and so eventually it's just dreaming darker and darker and darker dreams eventually god will want to be hitler mm. right so it can go as far as possibly away from its pureness mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. as deep as possible yeah. so that it can bring itself back but, and he's like whoa like, man. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. I, I, th- I think that also presupposes right that you can't dwell in this state of just you know infinite goodness <coughs> etc right i mean like I, I i like like i i understand this idea that god eventually gets bored with um with infinite <laughs> goodness so so he she they wish to entertain themselves right <laughs> Um, but I don't know. Like infinite goodness sounds pretty damn pretty good. good. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, like I think if infinite goodness is indeed infinite goodness, yeah, yeah. then I think that's inherently the kind of thing that you can never get bored with, right? Hmm. Hmm. Um, because it, it it supposes something beyond goodness, hmm. right? Like, hmm. oh, I'm bored because goodness, what is in <laughs> right? Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, okay, like maybe goodness isn't the thing to optimize for. Maybe it's a different thing. Maybe it's fulfillment, complexity, whatever, right? Hmm. Okay, then like that thing instead, you know what I mean? Hmm. And presumably God is the ultimate realization of whatever that thing is, right? So why would God ever not want to be in that, you know? Um, I, the reason why God wouldn't want to be in, in that is because I don't think, this, this, is, this may be controversial, but mm-hmm. my intuition is that God doesn't actually intend. God doesn't intend to do any of those things. It's just right, but but he intends it, to what infinitely dissociate himself from himself, right? I, I mean, in, so in that account, right? the, the idea of intention. Um, that's why I would agree with Bernardo Castro, who's going to come later to the show, <laughs> um, not to this show, to another show. Is that uh, <laughs> the universe is some form of like an organism? Is mm. God is some form of an organism in a sense? It's not deciding. It's not like God in Christianity, where he's thinking, "Oh, what do I do next?" Should I create suffering? It just is, and it's just manifesting as it is. Come on, man. Bernardo Castro, Spinoza. <laughs> well, Spinoza is this infinite being, which the thing is, it's not free. There is no free will for anything. Everything is determined, including God. God is determined by the laws of its own nature. Yes. And by the laws of its own nature, it must do everything it must do. And yes. what it must do is everything. Yes. It must simply generate all things. Yes. Mm-hmm. And so by virtue of being infinite, uh-huh. everything that does not involve contradiction, right. it is bound by the laws yes. of its own nature to do. And so would you say that the fact that God is infinite means that God must, on some level, experience mm. suffering that's i mean that's why jesus, that's, jesus comes yeah. to the world and dies yeah. like <laughs> he wants to experience mm. the suffering that um that he was going mm. to have mm. and like thinking that each of one of us is sort of like christ like mm. in that sense mm. maybe there is some form of learning or some form of um, learning or experience that 
that is interesting for God. No, not in, in a, like an intentional <laughs> way. Or oh, this, uh, I'm going to sure, do sure. this to be interesting. You're using human language. Yeah, I'm using human language, yeah. and, and I'm really breaking. Like I can't really yeah, say yeah, much yeah. on this. But, but but also because maybe yeah. God doesn't actually know. Right, like What's what infinite goodness is. Yeah, got to find it out. Yeah, exactly. It has, it has to find it out by simulating by experience. Yeah, exactly. Experimentation. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, there's this idea in so many different religions, right? That God is that God is omniscient and that it knows mm. everything. That that you know, he, she, it, they knows everything. Mm. Um, but I actually don't know if that's a proper account of God. You know, um, and I think also, furthermore, it presupposes this idea that time is just a one-dimensional arrow that only mm. goes from mm. past to future. Um, maybe God is in fact um, omniscient, but in a in in a sort of uh, eternalist framework of time. So, what do I mean by that? So, um, if time isn't just this one-dimensional arrow that goes from past to future, but instead past, present, future um, all exist simultaneously at mm. once, yes, right? Yes. Then that means that yeah. God yeah, 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 does, yeah. in fact, already know no. the answer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah because yeah. all of all possible realities have already mm. unfolded. Um, but insofar as we are in this universe where time is indeed one dimensional, then then infinite knowledge is something that has to occur over time in a sequence. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So yeah. So that last thing you said is kind of like well. So this is novel I'd really like to write. Ideally, it'd be the next novel I write, and that's kind of the conclusion I'd work towards. Right? Suffering is an illusion because suffering is separateness, and there's no actually there's no separateness. It just seems like it. Right, 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 right. But if you take the totality into account as mm-hmm. a whole, there's nothing separate, and therefore mm-hmm. there's no suffering. Right. Da, da, da. Exactly. It is that, and so that's the grand unit of vision, which then gets rid mm-hmm. of these questions. It only looks weird because we're seeing it sequence sequence. Well, we're in the sequence, trying to represent the sequence. Yeah. When really there is no sequence right? and that's 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 basically where that's where mm-hmm. we, we get screwed right, 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 right we're, exactly. we're a finite bit trying to conceptualize the arbitrarily <coughs> long finite bit mm-hmm, okay mm-hmm. so like the infinite yeah. infinite there's two ways to look at infinite being like infinite in extent mm-hmm. rather than like eternal right, right? right so right, like right. like imagine a string that's infinitely goes infinitely long to the left infinitely long to the right, right, right. versus like a circle mm-hmm. which exactly. like it doesn't yeah, yeah. it's 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 you it can go you know it's yeah, just yeah, yeah. out of this right so it's like so we're a bit, we're a finite bit of that long line, mm-hmm. trying to understand that infinitely long line that stretches out in either way, not seeing the circle at any point, right? right. And when you see the circle, you'll see, aha. Mm-hmm. Once you go down to that greatest root of all being mm-hmm. and see everything from everywhere, then it all coheres and then it's all fine, right? Okay. The hell comes in when you're a finite bit trying to understand an arbitrarily long finite bit right, right? Right, 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 right. so that's one answer right? yeah, yeah. the other thing that we were saying earlier is yeah it's the basic thing the kind of the basic Spinoza thing which I sort of that's the thought that kind of keeps on recurring that's my basic theogony right? I think that's the right term sort of justification of why is God good mm. well yeah look God is everything and so like everything everything must exist why would God not extend you know why that's the thing. Why would if God could make everything it'll make that too that, it's grace extends that far it, you know uh, Spinoza says it lacks no materials to make everything, so why not make everything? Mm-hmm. Uh, to be slightly more human emotional about it, it has enough grace to accept the being of everything. So why not let there be a universe where there is a mass murderer, right? And that's kind of it. Like God is so absolutely om- om- omnipotent that it can do absolutely everything. It basically will do absolutely everything, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So those are the kind of two mm. 
Yeah, I guess those are two answers, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. And also, I think this this links back to the earlier conversation that we were having about mm. karma too, mm. because mm. we were saying that what karma is fundamentally is nothing mm. more than causality, you know, mm. and and causality um, is grounded upon the arrow of time. Um, without mm. the arrow of time, you have no coherent notion of what causality is, <laughs> oh right? Oh like if 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 future can influence past just as much as past can influence future, then causality means nothing because causality mm. is fundamentally something that is directed. If you mm. have undirected causality um, where you know cause cause uh, begets effect but also effect begets cause mm. then, 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 then that means nothing yeah <laughs> um, so so uh, furthermore if um, if karma is what gives rise to suffering um, then suffering is nothing more than really just the error of time if you manage mm. to zoom mm. out yes. from the yeah. one-dimensional notion of time yeah to behold all of time is mm. this sort of infinite uh, eternal tapestry mm. that all exists mm. at once then Yes. Goodbye, suffering. I mean, th there is this um, term, Akashic Record, that oh, all okay, events, yeah. all uh, experiences is sort of in an infinite kind of... In an infinite field. In an yes. infinite field that you can, yes. you can, you can download. It's, it's already there. Like, everything you will do, has, you've already done in mm. some sense, because yeah. you were saying mm. there's no causality. Yeah. So, like, looking at suffering in that way, then it's not really suffering. It's more like an experience that you have in in the flow of time that you're experiencing. But ultimately, as you were saying, David, it ends at grace. Mm. And I think mm. on conditional grace for everyone, mm. ultimately, eventually, as, as much as hard as, as hard as it is to conceptualize, <laughs> it seems like that, it's that like will... It's a forced move. Like it's, you know, it's even like in chess, right? it might be a terrible move, but it's the only move you can make. Like The laws of the game require you because otherwise your king will be put in check. So you were forced to make this move. Mm -hmm. you, yeah. just kinda, you just kind of have to. Yeah. As crazy as the jump might seem, you always end up having to kind of make it. Yeah, so in, in that sense, suffering doesn't really exist in, in, in some ways because it's only a momentary experience that you're right. having. Like how you can go to, I mean, this may, this may sound so terrible if you're given an example like, or what if oh, my, my... No, 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 no. I don't even want to hear the example. Yeah, yeah, yeah. no, 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 but, but, but someone, someone could like object to this that if you say suffering doesn't exist, well, if my family has died, like yeah, that yeah. is real suffering. Yeah, that's why you don't say this to anyone. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah that's why it's like you, just, you yeah. just believe eternal grace. You just but yeah. believe infinite grace. Yeah, so, so, so I think on the level of like ultimate reality, we yeah, can yeah. say this. But on the level of talking to someone who's just lost someone, we can't say this to them. We're like, yeah. listen, uh, there's, there is no suffering, you know? Exactly, like, exactly. Because, we'll piss because, them off. Because, because it's only ontologically true. Because the, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. the vantage point is different, right? The vantage yeah, point yeah, of yeah, yeah. you being in the present moment experiencing something, it is suffering. From the vantage point of infinity and God, right, right, it's right. only some form of learning or an experience. To be clear, it's not merely the vantage point of you experiencing this being caught up in the suffering, right? Mm. It's of being in uh, a plane of existence where time is something that is one-dimensional that only goes from past to future, mm. right? Because, you know, for example, let's say you experience the suffering that arises from, um, you know, a loved one getting into a car accident, mm. right? Mm. Um, so, you know, right, you're experiencing things from past to future, so past mm. Is, mm -hmm. um, your loved one was driving the car in the future was they got into the accident mm -hmm. but if time is not one dimensional and, and, and future can flow into past then that means that you know mm -hmm. that, that means mm -hmm. that, that, that you go yeah, yeah, yeah. from the accident to your loved one just driving the car being, being totally fine exactly exactly yeah. and, but you can only get that kind of perspective when you zoom out to ultimate reality and ultimate reality is fundamentally something that is timeless mm -hmm. so you have to develop this timeless perspective in order to truly be liberated from suffering mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. 
So Spinoza says, you know, you see reality uh, sub specie eternitatis, right? From mm. under a species of eternity, under mm. a kind of eternity, mm-hmm. right? And that's that's your way out in in time, right? Your mind has the capability because it is God to see. So you know, eternity is the liberation, right? Right, right? In your life, that you, your mind does that through reason and through intuition. You're able to pop over to that perspective. Mm-hmm. That being said, like my, you know, your mind is imperfect, and you don't always do that, right? Like, I've been suicidal. I probably will be suicidal again. You know, mm-hmm. like there's moments of such acute suffering. Like I can't handle this, right? Mm-hmm. And the only way I can think to get out now isn't into the timeless. It's mm-hmm. kind of obscure to me at the moment. It is through the knife, right? Mm-hmm. So like, mm-hmm. it really like so that so when we say this, right, like. Mm-hmm. That, I think that's why neither of us are the Pope, right? Mm-hmm. Like none of us, none of us have taken. I have certainly haven't taken, right? Priest, I've never signed myself up to a credo mm-hmm. which says that I am now responsible for telling people, right? My official belief and my my official job, right, <coughs> is to stand in front of people and claim that everything is grace. That's you're like, wow, it's scary. Like, how? Mm-hmm. Who am I? I don't know. I don't yet feel right that I can do that. Right, mm-hmm. but nevertheless, in terms of my own understanding of the universe, you kind of yeah, you end up at at at, at, at infinite grace. Right? In mm-hmm. the long run, everything actually is. It's just a, basically a figment. It's just I'm seeing things, yeah, through a narrow perspective, right? Mm-hmm. And from this narrow perspective, the suffering seems, yeah, un, un, unjustifiable, right? Unjustifiable in any way, and not you can't deal with it, right? Um, Oh, yeah, <laughs> and then you're like, oh, and then and then and then some time passes, and you know, it, you come back into the thing, and you're like, oh, the timeless, ah. and then you're in a good mood again. <laughs> uh, that just brings me back to another thing, which is that does God, the infinite, ever mm. experience suffering, even in time? And yeah, I, I've thought of, I've given this a lot of thought. And okay, okay. <laughs> I, I, I've come to the conclusion that despite your experience and feeling of suffering, yeah. yeah infinite awareness cannot suffer right, 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 right. because its nature is not something that is a thing yeah, yeah, that right, yeah, anything yeah. can happen to yeah, yeah, but, yeah, but yeah. which also undermines right the the narrative that we were telling earlier about god getting bored right because <laughs> because if infinite awareness can never suffer then why would it even be bored to begin with well, yeah, i think being bored is a metaphor yeah i think being bored is a metaphor there um we already said that he doesn't have an intention like he's not right yeah 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 fair enough um but yeah, I've, I've thought about this, that even when we experience suffering, mm-hmm. it doesn't register in the infinity suffering, mm. it registers as a boom, like, <laughs> like a blip, and then suffering is created in our minds, because yeah, yeah. If, we see, if we see suffering as, um, if we see ourselves as a separate self, yeah, yeah. because all suffering happens to the separate self, happens yeah, yeah. to the body and mind. Yeah. So in that sense, it's, it doesn't really exist because the body and mind is not actually, it doesn't actually exist. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So God doesn't actually experience suffering, even though suffering happens within God. Hmm. So, you know, I think there was, Rupert Spira was talking about this guy who, I think a Hindu monk or someone like mm-hmm. that, um, who was in hospital and they asked him, so how are you doing? He said, my body is dying, but I am fine. <laughs> my body is suffering. Yeah, my yeah, mind is yeah, suffering, yeah, yeah, yeah. but I am I fine. I am fine. Yeah. I am fine. Yeah, so, what I means, right? <laughs> yeah, and applying that to practical situations yeah, doesn't yeah. make any sense. This is a very deep metaphysical understanding that sure, sure. ultimately whatever suffering you're experiencing is only an experience in, in you. Hmm. As soon as you identify and attach yourself to the suffering, hmm. that's where you suffer. Hmm. Hmm. 
But if you see yourself as the observer of the suffering, then mm. uh, suffering becomes an experience just like a horror movie that you watch in a cinema. Mm. As, as, I mean, this sounds really bad. Again, if someone's listening to this and thinking, yeah. thinking to themselves, I'm really suffering. It's yeah, not yeah, a movie yeah, I'm yeah, watching. Yeah, 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 no, I know, I know. I've been but, there. We've been there. <laughs> but again, it's a different language different, used yeah, in different yeah, contexts. In yeah, this exactly, context of yeah. metaphysics and what yeah, suffering is yeah, essentially. Yeah, yeah exactly. We, uh, we have to say this. I think exactly. we have to say this. Yeah. That's exactly it, right? When you're talking about all of reality and you're asking, yeah. what is it, what is the case for all of reality? What is the case for the universe that suffering exists? When you're talking about that, then there is no suffering, right? Yeah. And all is grace. Blah, blah, blah. Yeah, when you're talking the psychology of it, it's different. Mm-hmm. And a quick note, actually, on the psych- psychology of it. So this, uh, this is this also is kind of abstract and you know, uh, philosophical. Right? This isn't any kind of practical. Well, in some way, but it's not really practical advice. But now that we're talking about the psychology of suffering, I thought it might be nice to bring it up. So earlier we were talking about how suffering is separation, right? Mm-hmm. Only on the level of separation, where you're separated from the objects that you mm-hmm. want, that you're trending towards, mm-hmm. can there be suffering? Can there be the deprivation of being with this thing, right? Um, Another way to look at it is that what suffering is, is denial of reality. Yes. So this is basically the Buddha's notion. This is basically as well Spinoza's notion, right? That's what negative emotions are. That's what suffering is, right? Is when something is happening and you are aware that something is happening and yet you don't want to accept that something is happening. So you're trying to deny that it's happening and then there's just this, you're ripped apart, right? Mm-hmm. Resistance. Resistance, right? Yeah, you're resisting yeah, yeah. the flow of what's happening, right? <laughs> so with you know, Buddhism, you simply maintain mindfulness. And so when you maintain mindfulness, you see what it is clearly what it is that's happening. Mm-hmm. And then you see clearly what it is that your mind is doing when it's trying to reject it. And then once you see that clearly, that kind of dissolves, right? And it's a practice, right? It's not just you see that once. You, you continue to practice this, right? Um, so that's what suffering is, right? So you're trying to deny reality. You mm. don't like what's happening, and so you're trying to deny it. And Spinoza thinks about it the same way as well. He's slightly more, I wouldn't say it's, it's not physicalist, but, you know, very, okay, very boiled down. You know, you're a bit of the unit. You know, God is everything, but you're a bit of it, right? And so you're essentially this brain walking around in this body, mm-hmm. and your brain is trying to simulate all the rest of reality. Mm-hmm. So it's building this picture, right? And so then whatever it is that you're experiencing, you know, this table, the other people, that's bits of your brain, you know, arranging themselves to make, the, you know, to put themselves in the shape of Kenneth and all these, all yeah. these things, right? And then what's happening when I then deny the picture that my brain is telling me is that you're killing your brain cells, right? Mm-hmm. It's your, you know, it's your brain just, it's your mind just being like, I don't want those brain cells to exist. Mm-hmm. And so you're kind of at war with yourself, right? Mm-hmm. So like, again, let's say you're, to take an example, my case, right? You're walking your dog, your dog runs into the road, dog gets hit by a car, right? That, that image of the dog getting hit by a car is my brain cells. And then when I'm saying, oh, no, that's a traumatic event, right? That's be, just, just rejecting those brain cells that have just witnessed that mm. and just trying to push them away and try to section off that part of myself. And so I'm ripping myself kind of apart. Mm-hmm. So it's a more, slightly more convoluted, but also like mm-hmm. slightly more modern right, mm-hmm. version of the same basic idea that what suffering is, is denial of reality. And why, why that causes you so much pain is that you're actually killing your brain right you're sort of out your body's at war with itself right? mm-hmm. which ex- which is expresses itself in your mental experience of mm-hmm. suffering mm-hmm. so yeah that basic point right we talked about earlier about suffering being separation well, it's also denial right mm-hmm. denial of reality and yeah, attachment exactly. to to your experiences yes yeah exactly i think i just want to address perhaps a, a listener's question right the thought might when, when we started off last last podcast and the beginning of this one you know, it came in pretty definitive. Well, look, God is this. And this is obvious, right? Like, and clearly, clearly, right? And at the beginning of this podcast, I was like, "Look, God is you just know it, right? We're not from my Lord. I quoted Dulundal Misfi. We're not from my Lord. I would not have known my Lord. Essentially, you know God. You just do. You just through it, just by accident, by through grace, you just happen to know God, and you know you know God because you compare to other people, and that's it. It's obvious. You know that you know God, 
And then what followed, an hour of the most confused, yeah, but wait a second. But like, uh, but then if God, then like, but what about murder? Oh, no, uh, we're all like, oh, are we all now like, are our listeners going to think that we all think it's murder? But then, what confusion? Look at these three totally confused weirdos. I thought yeah. they said they knew God, right? <laughs> and so then I wanted... I was looking for answers, man. <laughs> and so I wanted to end with one last Dulnala mystery code, which is that he who is deepest in knowledge of God is the deepest in befuddlement of him. Deepest in... Befuddlement of him. Befuddlement. Right? So the more you know God, the more you are confused about him. Yes. Right? So you know him really, really well. And the more you know him, you're like, dude, <laughs> at some basic level, I don't get what you're up to. Makes you love me love you all the more, right? The less I understand you, the more I admire you, right? But that's a nice quote, basically, about like how the more deeply you know God... You say the more that the sort of the pure intellectualizing falls away, right? Yeah. Like, okay. Well, God is this, this, and this, and blah, blah, blah. The more like you, cl- the less you cling to any theology, right? The less you cling to the, the more and more when you speak of God, you are simply trying to point the way, the ladder, right? The less and less and less you think you definitively know God or can grasp God with that bit of you mm. that speaks in words and that yes. has things in yeah, concepts yeah. and that puts things in boxes. Exactly, right? yeah. That bit of you is more and more befuddled, right? <laughs> yeah. So that's why the ultimate truth cannot be spoken, right? Right, exactly. So as in the next podcast, we will just be in silence. silence. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> cool. so tune cool. in next time for an hour of silence. Yeah. Yeah. So episode yeah. three <laughs> will be the <laughs> perfect answer for, you know, first time we started saying everything is God and yeah, yeah, yeah. that was like a simple answer now we nice. spell out some differences nice. and then finally it will be silence nice. and, exactly. you know, in, in a really true total true, nothing yes nice. total silence yeah nice. so in the end yeah like <laughs> yeah and the other thing as well is that like it's so I, I do enjoy speaking it's with everything else like, like you enjoy talking about what you know people enjoy talking about their days they enjoy talking about their experiences right and you know to experience so much of such intensity and not talking about it feels yeah feels like really like lonely it needs to come right? out yeah, it needs yeah. to come out you feel, again it's like really lonely really really imagine if like you've just seen the best film ever and no one else is talking about it on Twitter or anything you're like, that's Whoa. why we're doing this podcast that's why we're doing it's, this it's podcast it's for the things right? inside to come out you know exactly because uh. again you just feel so fucking lonely yeah. but, and, but the second thing is, despite that despite that I am silent about God most of the time right like 10 hours out of I mean almost, almost every single day I don't say anything to anyone about God, right? Almost every single day. And in the days in which I do, almost all the day, I'm not saying anything, you know? It's not as if I've just suddenly forgot about God, right? It's just like, there's nothing to say. How would I even begin? Then you're on a podcast, no, and you realize it, there are all it. these people listening, <laughs> and that inner lonely urge. Yeah, yeah, it all comes out. To, all that repressed, yeah. all these repressed yeah, thoughts yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. comes purging out. But A, but yeah, in my actual life, day-to-day life, I don't talk about it very much. And B, when I'm dead, I'm going to talk about it real little. Like, <laughs> my coffin, my corpse is not going to be saying much, right? So, like, at that point, I can go further to complete silence, right? But there, there is a lot of silence, right? Mm-hmm. During, in, in my time on Earth, right? And certainly afterwards, right? I'll be expressing it mostly in silence, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's God. What that's what God does. He's silent. What God does exactly. He, 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 he's silent, but he also speaks. Yeah, exactly. Both, both at the same time, right? You have you have you yeah. have the words, yeah. the Jewish text, the, the yeah, Bible, yeah. Uh, but God in His being is silent. So God yeah. speaks and is silent at the same yeah. time. So we should do the same. Yeah, exactly. Um, exactly. The balance out, you know. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. The yin and yang, the silence and uh, exactly. doing and speech. In the, the logos. The sage conducts a wordless teaching, but also when a brook babbles, it does nothing. It's just 
it's spontaneous. That was episode two of On the Verge. Thank you very much for listening. Please subscribe to the podcast, and uh, we'd be flattered if you would share it. And um, if you want to check out any more of my writing, you can find it at davidleon.blog. Thank you once again for listening. <laughs>